0: Good morning. I felt tension then. So good to see you. The sun is shining. The British weather is over. It's lovely to have you here. If you're joining us online, again, it's great to have you joining us as well. And yes, it was amazing this last week to have over 500 kiddos in here for VBS. I came in a few times to to watch and literally was moved to tears every time. It was a beautiful occasion. I went to Sunday school three times when I was a kid before they kicked me out, but that's another story. And we had fuzzy felt back then. Anyone remember the felt? The fu- Raise your hand if you remember the fuzzy felt. They had stick-on Bible characters. It was really high-tech. And I, for, for the three weeks I went, I thought Moses was a skydiver because he fell off every week, you know, it was kind of... <laughs> But the level, the quality, the set that was built, the, the, the volunteers, it was just, it was just amazing. Uh, this will be the last time that I mention that next March, next March my wife Kay and I will be leading our final, that will be the final trip to London where we go to London for three days and then we go to the Holy Land for seven days to Israel. And um, we have a meeting tomorrow night Uh, here at 6.30. Uh, It's going to be in the student center, and if you're planning on coming or you'd like information and you can't come, we have a table in the mall today, and and my wife Kay and Karen, they're out there. Just stop by, Uh, and if you're you're coming, just let us know, because we need to know how many steaks to order for tomorrow night. Okay, cookies. Costco cookies. Great. So, come along if you're interested. We're continuing this series this weekend. The title for the message is True Religion, A Change of Heart. And we're going to turn to a passage in Scripture that one commentator, William Barclay, says is the most revolutionary passage in the entire New Testament. Now, those of you that have paper bulletins or you're following the, in the app in the, in the, on the phone... Uh, let me just tell you that there are six points listed there, but that is a mistake. Uh, when we, My wife was here last night, she said, where was point number six? And I said, it was, never in, it was never there, it's a mistake. So good news, everybody, there are not six points, there are five points. And everybody said, yeah. that was really rude, really <laughs> rude. I'm up here trying to do this. Let's have a look at... Mark chapter 7. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. It happened when I was preaching somewhere at a church. It didn't happen here. I was. I was in the bathroom, and I was washing my hands. How many would agree that's a really good and vital and important thing to do? And I'm washing my hands, and this guy came in, and he recognized me as the visiting preacher. I'm a pastor, and and he looked at me, and he went, Hello, Jeff. He said, I'm really surprised to see you in here. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you think we do? (laughs) Pray about it, you know. So that was a little weird. So I've washed my hands, and I, I head over to the air dryer, you know, the hot air dryer. And I'm standing there in the worshipful position, and wanting to get my hands dried, and nothing is happening. How many of have had that experience? It's, you know, you're standing there, and you're like, what's the matter with this thing? And then you start waving at it, because you think it might be motion activated, right? And so you're waving, and you know, and, and, and still nothing is happening. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And this guy looked at me and he said, Jeff, that is a paper towel dispenser. (laughs) Hand washing, hand dryers, paper towels. This episode in Mark's Gospel, it's all about hand washing. But it's got nothing to do with hygiene. You see, the issue is tradition. When we look at verse 2, we see they notice that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing. And then in verse 3, it's required by their ancient traditions. That's what this is all about. Now, who was doing the complaining? Well, it was... The Pharisees. There were several thousand Pharisees in Israel in Jesus' day spread throughout the country. Uh, and we tend to think of the Pharisees in negative terms. They're the people that we hiss at during the pantomime, because generally they did a lot of bad stuff. Particularly in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew All the time, they just pop up everywhere in opposition to Jesus, undermining him, criticizing him, trying to catch him out. And so we tend to think of them negatively. But actually, when they got started, the Pharisees had really good intentions. About 200 years before Christ, this group began to form. And they were really committed to holy, living And they wanted the nation of Israel to turn to God so that Messiah would come. The word Pharisee, (parashum) means to be separate. These were people who prayed. They were required to pray for three hours a day. And unlike another group at the time, the Sadducees, The Pharisees believed in the supernatural, in judgment after death, in angels and demons, and they believed in the resurrection of the body. And the Sadducees didn't. Anyone remember that from Sunday school? The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were Sadducee. (laughs) They were... Passionate. They were committed. They were, at least in their theology, they were committed to a theology of nonviolence. And they wanted to end all division between the sacred and the secular. They weren't very interested in the temple, worshipping in the temple, because they wanted every day, every hour, every space to be committed to God. That sounds pretty good, right? Except it, it backfired because they wanted every meal to be like an act of worship and that developed into a view that you couldn't eat with anybody that was deemed as sinful. Luke 15, 1, the Pharisees muttered because Jesus was eating with sinners. Their own theology tripped them up. Uh, and there were some extremists among them as well. There was one group of Pharisees, I'm not making this up. They were called the bruised and bleeding group. And the reason for that is that this group was very worried about ever looking at a woman with lust. So their solution to this potential temptation was to walk around in the marketplaces and the streets with their eyes shut. When you do that, you bump into stuff. Hence, they were known as the bruised and bleeding group. These people so wanted Israel to be holy. Now what has any of this got to do with us? Well we are called to live a holy life. But often the idea of holiness, we get confused about it. In my early days as a Christian, I so intensely wanted to get everything right and uh, and be so responsive to God And whatever the preacher was preaching about, if there was a time of response at the end, I would always be the first one to go forward. And it didn't matter what the sermon was about. If they were looking for volunteers for people to lead the ladies' underwater basket weaving group, I would be found at the front saying, oh Lord, I am willing to weave baskets while wet for you, Jesus. I I was very, very intense, and, and I kept discovering this word holy. The commentator Agif Fernando has analyzed the 2005 verses that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he discovered that 1,400 of them are about godliness or character or holiness. And we look at Scripture and we see that message resounding, Second Corinthians 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, there it is, out of reverence for God. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 2 Peter 3.11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. But what does that mean? And isn't it true that often the word holy has had a negative connotation? We talk about, or some people talk about those who are holier than thou. Kind of pompous, arrogant religiosity. Actually, holiness is beautiful. The old English word from which we get uh, the English word holy, halig, it means to be whole, to be healthy. This is the beautiful way to live. But the Pharisees so got it wrong. And so can we. So let's, let's dive in and, and see what we can learn about true religion and false religion. First of all, false religion is deceptively passionate. It's deceptively passionate. Look at this. One day, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now stop right there. He's in Galilee. He's at least 80 miles from then. And it's 2,000 years before the next bus is due. You know what that meant? It meant three days of walking. These guys... They're enthusiastic, they're zealous, they're keen. But here's the thing. Just being passionate is not enough. The Apostle Paul described himself as zealous before he became a follower of Jesus. He says in Philippians, As for zeal, I persecuted the church. People died because of Paul's religious zeal. Stephen was one of them. In Acts chapter 8, we read that Saul, who became Paul, gave approval to his death. It's not enough to be passionate. Romans 10 and verse 2 talks about zeal without knowledge. It was zeal and passion that caused the nightmare of the medieval crusades. It was misguided zeal that called the Conquistadors, to justify their forced conversion, so-called, to Christianity of the population of South America, and they baptised people at sword point. Now, that's messed up. Defenders of apartheid in South Africa, some of them defended that racist doctrine by using distorted Bible verses. To some of us shout loud and think little. Let me, let me talk to you as a pastor. Sometimes I have people come and members of our teaching team and people will come and say, how come you guys don't preach about this or that? And we want to be faithful to God's word, but I, I want to say, there are some subjects which require in-depth what I'd like to call family conversations. That's why on Wednesday nights, Pastor Brent did a series looking at some very controversial issues in our culture, because we don't want to just stand up here for 25 minutes and, and just blast out truth, either with the wrong tone, forgetting the fact that there may be parents, there may be people here struggling with these issues. And sometimes people just say, just preach it, just preach it. And passion's not enough. We need to be thoughtful about the way we proclaim truth. And it needs to be with grace and love. Secondly, false religion majors on minors. It majors on minors. Look at this. This is why the Pharisees came from Jerusalem in the first place, because they'd heard about this stuff. Wherever Jesus went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, They brought the sick out to the marketplaces, they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Wow. That's why they came, initially, but then they focused on minor issues. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now let me explain what's going on here. God gave the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, to Moses. After the Babylonian exile in Israel's history, something called the Midrash was developed. This was an oral commentary on the law, how to apply the law in your life. And then about 200 years before Christ, something called the Midrash was created. It was written 700 pages of stuff that said, if you want to be holy, this is how you're to live. This was not the law. This was add-on to the law. And there's some crazy stuff in there. I'm not making these up. There are instructions in there about If you can pray when you're working in the top of a tree. Can a man divorce his wife for burning a meal? I beg you, sir, do not say amen at this moment. (laughs) Is a man ceremonially unclean for touching a mouse? If you are making bread while naked... And then you want to use that bread for an offering. Is it unclean? I've been worrying about that one for quite a while. <laughs> In the Mishnah, there are 35 pages about washing utensils and vessels. The hand washing ceremony was very elaborate. And rather than try and do it here and getting all wet, and that, that would not end well, So I filmed this earlier this week. The water of 10 eggshells was used. You would put the water in in the palm of your hand, and then you had to roll the water off of your wrist because it was now unclean. And at the top of your hand, and then off the wrist again. Top of your hand, off the wrist again. And then you would finalize things by rubbing the palms of your hands with the fist. Now, that's how you began the meal. But the Pharisees would do that between every course. And it seems like Jesus is deliberately confronting this behavior because he doesn't want them majoring on minors and going beyond what God wants. Legalism is the word for it. And all kinds of legalistic ideas have plagued the church through the years. Um, And it still happens. It still happens. I, um, I was watching a, a, a YouTube video just recently of a church conference where the pastor, all dressed up in his nice suit, nothing wrong with that, but he was preaching that it is a sin for men to wear a beard, and I'm looking at that like, what's that got to do with anything? Honestly, I don't care because I don't have the hormonal sufficiency to grow a popper beard. I tried to grow a goatee once. It was terrible. I looked like the back end of a rabbit. It was hideous. (laughs) Don't allow faith to be cluttered by extra biblical rules and regulations. And maybe some of us have been raised in some of that. The Holy Spirit will enable us to live out the principles of God's word in our lives, but not this legalistic stuff. Thirdly, false religion doesn't positively impact relationships. It doesn't positively impact relationships. These Pharisees, they were meticulous, and they were murderous. And they manipulated and muttered and conspired and slandered. And look what Jesus said to them. Jesus replied... You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Now, what's this about? The Pharisees had developed a religious loophole. Imagine this. Your parents, they're elderly. They are unable to fend for themselves. In Jewish culture and thinking, you're responsible to take care of them. Except, here's the deal. It's called Corbin. What is Corbin? The idea of Corbin is that you could take part of your income and you could say this amount is dedicated to God and his temple. Sorry, Mum and dad. Can't help you because this is God's. But here's the crazy thing. You didn't actually have to fulfill the vow ever. You didn't have to give the money, ever. All you had to do is say, this is Corbin. sorry. And Jesus was challenging this kind of holiness that actually didn't impact the way people did their family relationships. Does our faith affect the way that we relate? In friendship, in marriage, in, in church life. I mean, let me share something with you. This is just between me and you. So could you lean forward slightly? Just lean, just lean forward. It's so funny, I'm looking at some of you you're going, I'm not leaning forward. <laughs> don't you come over here, you British people. And tell us how we should adopt our posture. I'm not doing that. The 4th of July is coming, don't you know? Lean forward, get over yourself, lean forward. I've been a pastor for about 400 years. And I have met some mean, mean, mean Christians. And they're very pious, some of them, and they're very passionate, and they shout loud. They're horrible. I'm like, Jesus, when I get to heaven... Don't let me sit next to them. I'm moving. I've seen church... You can lean back now. Free at last. I've seen churches have arguments about stupid stuff. I know of one church that had an argument, a big fight, because their accounts were out uh, by 10 cents. And so in their business meeting... They had a big fight about the 10 cents and then someone walked quietly to the front and put a dime on the platform and said, can we move on? I know of a church that had an argument about what type of green beans they should serve when they got together for meals. I could answer that conflict. None. None. (laughs) I know of a church that argued about whether they should allow deviled eggs (laughs) to be served. It's the thin end of the wedge, deviled eggs. We demand angel food cake. (laughs) Does our faith affect our relationships? And this is not just about the way we relate to each other, we relate to each other, it's about the way we relate to our world. Does our faith impact our attitude towards poverty and injustice and homelessness? It's one of the reasons we've got opportunities to serve on July the 15th, because we want a faith that impacts our world. And if we don't, if there is no impact in us because we follow Jesus, if we don't care about our world. You know what God says? God says, cancel the service. Because it's nauseating. Amos chapter 5, listen to this. I hate, this is the Lord speaking, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Our faith should affect the way we see our world, the great Methodist Evangelist, John Wesley said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social religion. No holiness but social holiness. Does our faith affect our relationships? First John says, if you say that you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. That's blunt. Number four. False religion stays on the surface and doesn't change the heart. It doesn't bring heart change. Let's continue. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. His disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Look at me. Is Jesus talking about I'm going to put that verse on my fridge. (laughs) By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, and look at this list. Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Jesus is saying life does not flow from the outside in, it flows from the inside out. Now, there's two things that emerge from that. One is let's guard our hearts. Let's guard what we put into our hearts. Proverbs 4 says, above everything else, guard your heart. It is where your life comes from. Why is it that many junior high and senior high kids are getting gross videos and messages on their phones? Why is it that many young men have got a distorted view of sexuality that often includes oppression and even violence? Why is that happening? It's because of what they're feeding on, what's so easily available. What are we feeding our hearts on? But I think this list as well shows us with this great long list, Jesus is saying, humanity, you've got a problem. What Jesus is showing us is that following him is not just about coming to church and trying to be nice. We actually have a bigger problem that needs to be solved. Jeremiah, the prophet, said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Do you know what that means? That means that we need new hearts. I'm not talking about the pump that pumps our blood around our bodies. I'm talking about the essential us. We need new hearts. And that's available, Ezekiel prophesied, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, that's why, to use the vilified term, that's why Christians believe what the Bible says, we must be born again. That's a new beginning, regeneration, a new creature in Christ, a new heart. In a few minutes from now, we're going to be sharing communion. That's for followers of Jesus. But I'm going to give an invitation before, immediately before we take this. I want you to know this is coming. For anybody here who wants to make a decision to follow Christ and become a follower of Jesus, a Christian today, a choice is needed. You're going to be saying, from now on, from this moment, I have now invited Christ into my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his empowerment. I need him. I want this is the way you were designed to live, my friend. And there will be an opportunity for you to make that choice. And the moment you make it, God will hear. And then, seconds after you've made that decision, you'll be able to share in communion together with us as a follower of Jesus. And it's been wonderful, over the course of this weekend, I think so far we've seen at least eight, maybe 10 people make that choice and begin a brand new life. It's been beautiful to see that opportunity is coming up. Well, the last thing is this, and that is that false religion doesn't actually listen. Doesn't actually listen. There's a statement we might miss here, but it's vital. In verse 19, by saying this, Jesus declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Now, who did he say that to? The disciples, privately. Peter was one of the disciples. He would have heard Jesus say that. Fast forward 10 years, it's Peter. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, they've all taken place a decade earlier. Would Peter remember what Jesus had taught? How many can remember a sermon that was preached 10 years ago? Just raise your hand if you can, that's so encouraging. (laughs) How many can remember something that I said in this sermon 10 minutes ago? Well done. Jesus had taught every kind of food is clean. So now what happens? Here's what we read in Acts chapter 10, 10 years after. Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all kinds, all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision, I love this, it was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. By the way, the worship team have come back because I asked them to come back at this point. They're not just showing up to give me a little bit of a hint. I just wanted you to just get him off. Ten years earlier, Peter had been with the group that heard Jesus teach, all food is clean. Ten years later, he still hasn't learned the lesson. And the early church battled with this issue for decades, because they didn't learn the lesson. On my way to church this morning, I noticed a lady, you often, you know, early in the morning you see people working out and walking, and she was walking along and, and checking her watch, and, and then she came to a, a traffic light. She wanted to cross the road. So she pressed the button, you know the button? And, uh, but she doesn't want her heart rate to slow down. And so um, as I'm watching her, she's just walking around the light like this. Walking around, walking around, walking around, walking around. And there was a lot of traffic, so she just kept walking around, around and around, around and around. And I don't know, lady, lady you, you might be here today because she finally managed to break out of that circle. And I congratulate you. But walking around and around. Uh, uh, and this is what we do. Yeah, everything, every food is clean, don't worry about that food stuff. And ten years later, Peter's going, I've never eaten anything unclean. And, and you can imagine an angel looking down going, duh. And three times, three times God repeated it. It's like, get it. Are there lessons that we finally need to learn? Well, as we prepare to share in this beautiful remembrance moment, not of someone dead and fondly remembered, but someone dead and now raised to life and ascended, We're going to come to that moment now, that opportunity. Here it is, it's 10.57 on a sunny Sunday morning in Fort Collins, Colorado. And this can be the moment, the junction moment, the beginning of a new life. Don't back off and say, you don't know where I've come from, Jeff. You don't know how bad it's been. All are invited. Don't exclude yourself. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, you can make that choice right now, and we'll help you. So let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, thank you for your patient care for us. We want true faith, if you like, true religion. We want want to go beyond skin deep. We don't want to major on minors. We want a faith that impacts our relationships, our marriages, our attitude towards our world. We want to guard our hearts. We want to learn the lessons of life. And Lord, now we pray by your Holy Spirit. Your word invites us to come to you for a new heart. A new beginning. So in this moment, do the work that only you can do. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you want to make that decision to follow Christ and become a Christian, this is your moment. I'm going to pray a little prayer. It is a simple way of helping you to make that decision now. Let's be clear, you're not just asking for God's help or blessing. You're turning your life over to him. You're saying, I want to follow Christ. If you'd like to do that, then here is this prayer. Just whisper it after me. Jesus, Lord Jesus, I come to you now by faith. I choose to follow you. Rescue me, save me. Rescue me from my sins, from myself. I turn to you. I ask for your forgiveness. And I choose now to walk by faith with you for the rest of my days. And I thank you in faith. I thank you for hearing my prayer. Now let's just keep our eyes closed for a moment. If you've just done that, if you've just used that little prayer in order to make that step, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple, and I won't ask for anything else. This is it. If you've just done that, I'm going to ask you right where you are just to hold up your hand so I can see it, please. Do that now. And I'm looking around, and just wave at me if if that's what you're doing. and that is so amazing to see. Thank you at the back and at the front here to my left, over here, the most beautiful sight. You can put your hands down, thank you. So Lord, would you reveal yourself to each one. Thank you that now they can join us in the sharing of this beautiful moment and I invite I don't, I don't know, the 10 or 12 of you that I've just seen. I invite you to share in this bread and in this cup. Before we do that, you, those of you that just became, you just became a follower of Jesus 45 seconds ago. And I'd like you to have the opportunity, and we'll sing it with you, to declare I have decided to follow Jesus.
1: Let's sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning.
0: Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. I invite you to to take hold of those elements there and bring out the little piece of bread. Do this in remembrance of me and do this until I come. So now with glad and grateful hearts, let's receive the bread together and as we come to the cup and you might want to take that now I just want to say something here living in Colorado is so beautiful beautiful mountains what a fabulous place But I just saw one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in my life. And that is people who just raise their hand to say, I've decided. And I just saw you take the bread. Fabulous. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We share in the cup together. Now in a moment, we're gonna sing again. By the way, could you put those cups down because you need two hands, because we've just seen, I don't know, 10 people make the most amazing decision in life. So could we welcome and celebrate and give thanks to God? Praying about this weekend's service, services, I felt a nudge from the Lord to ask educators here, whatever form of education you're in. I felt a nudge to say to you that we want to honour you, thank you for all that you do in shaping the hearts of young people. It's not just young people; there could be. You can be in education across the age ranges, but in a moment, if you're in education, uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand, because we'd love to pray for you, and as, as it were, stand with you in what you're doing. So if you're in education of some form, can I invite you just to stand to your feet, please, now? Would you do that? Could we thank them for all that they do? And stay standing. Now I ask you folks to remain standing please. When I was praying yesterday about this message, I asked the Lord, is there anything you want me to say to these wonderful educators? And, and I felt like the Lord said to me that some were thinking about giving up. You're thinking about not going back at the end of the summer. You're thinking about you're done. And that might be the right choice. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you to think about calling. Are you called to this? Is this your calling? And then to think about where your confidence can come from. He is there with you in that situation. Had a beautiful conversation this week with a lady in the Timberline family who's an educator. And I'm sure that's what prompted this moment. Last night, I didn't share this. I kind of missed it. It happens. But we did pray for the educators. And then after the service, Pastor Carrie came up to me and she said, You know, when you had the educators stand up for prayer, I felt like some of them were thinking about giving up. And I'm like, duh. I missed it. But not this morning. So we're going to pray. And then at the end of our service, Pastor Carrie, who's right over there, she'll be at the front here, and if you're one of those people, you're just just feeling like you're done, we wanna pray for wisdom and direction and clarity for you. If you're near one of these lovely folks, why don't you just reach out to them, and we're gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you for each one, and we ask you to strengthen them. We ask You to grant them confidence and wisdom, courage, grace. Equip them in the work that they do to help shape the hearts of young people. We thank You for them, each and every one. And everybody said, would you all stand with me, please? Let's all stand together. Let's sing the refrain one more time. I've decided to follow Jesus. Let's worship.
1: I have decided.
0: as in 48 seconds you leave from here.